Murphy back, he missed it. Minnesota on and right in front and again for Russell. Had to be good to stop Garazan. Here's Lemieux. The center penalty coming up. Look at Lemieux. Oh my heavens. What a goal. What a move. Lemieux. Oh baby. And welcome to the 20th weekly edition of the Sportscasters. My name is Steve Bennett, and I am here with my good pal and co-host, Don Ross. How are you doing today, Don? Excellent. It is May 17, 2011. We are coming to you from Buffalo, New York, and we have a very special show planned for you for our 20th edition. You know, everyone's kind of celebrating 20 these days. Pearl Jam just announced their big PJ20 Festival and some of the details about the movie that Cameron Crowe, yes, the Cameron Crowe is producing about them called Pearl Jam 20. A book coming out called Pearl Jam 20. Uh, a soundtrack for the movie called Pearl Jam 20. I know. Just all kinds of 20. And of course, here we are with our 20th episode of this humble little podcast that I believe is ready to have a 20th 20-year anniversary someday, but we're a long <laughs> ways from that. For right now, we're going to entertain you today with Peter King from Sports Illustrated, sportsillustrated.com. Uh, just last night, he was named the Sports Writer of the Year, so couldn't be a better day to have Peter King on the show. Also, Dave Damashek, our good buddy Dave, we wouldn't be here uh, for a number one, a number two, a number five, or a number 20 without Dave Damashek. So he is kind enough to join us despite being busy with his own podcast, which has debuted on the NFL.com now. And we'll talk more about that with Dave later, but Dave will join us as well. Also this week, uh, to celebrate our 20th episode, we are having our athlete spotlight number three, which will be posted tomorrow, but actually today, wink, wink. Uh, and it is with NFL player Reggie Smith. He uh, graduated from Oklahoma and currently plays for the San Francisco 49ers. And I use the term graduated in a football sense. He moved, he graduated from Oklahoma football to National League gotcha. football. Right. And uh, is a DB for the San Francisco 49ers. So you can find that on our website, which is www.sports-casters.com. Check it out. Don did some work on it. Uh, I have some more ideas for it, and it's something that we're definitely going to be working on improving in the next little while. It is www.sports-casters.com. And if you have any advice, anything you'd like to see on the site, if you want to give us a pat on the back, maybe a middle finger, you can email us at thesportscasters at gmail.com. A couple other little things. Uh, I want to give a shout out to our boy, The Ed. The Ed has retired from life. He is no longer doing his own radio show, the sit back in your bed and relax show. He is no longer communicating on Facebook. Hmm. He is no longer tweeting. He is no longer running games. He's no longer posting on the Dave Damashek 
website. So is this like an APB for the ad? Like, we- uh, no, I, he had his last show. I actually called up and, and thanked him for everything. And I couldn't tell if he was mocking us or not <laughs> uh, because uh, his co-host asked him, now that his show is over, what should people do? And the first thing he said is, you should listen to the sportscasters. And at first I was really excited. And then he was saying that we interviewed Brett the Hitman Hart, which we never did. So We'd love to, though. Yeah, it'd be delightful. I, but I have no idea what he was talking about, if, he, if he's a fan of us or not. It doesn't matter. We're a fan of him, and we'll miss him. Hopefully everything is okay with his health, because there's been some rumors out there that uh, that may have played a part of it. Speaking of poor health, I want to just mention one more time on the podcast, my buddy, uh, Josh Cormier. We mentioned it last time. He is at BuffaloJC34 on Twitter, and uh, he is getting ready to honor the one-year anniversary of the death of his father uh, with a marathon, the first-ever marathon he has ever run, and it will end at the 50-yard line at Notre Dame Stadium in South Bend, Indiana. His dad was a huge Notre Dame fan. And I encourage you to follow him on Twitter at BuffaloJC34 to find out how you can donate to this great cause. I think he's trying to raise about a grand for the uh, National Kidney Foundation in honor of his father. Also, want to give a shout out to a friend, uh, Christian Wheeler, um, a guy uh, always has his finances in order. <laughs> uh, good friend of the show. Uh, he's been listening quite a lot. He really sent us some encouragement when he found out about some of the stuff we've been working on. So I want to thank him for that. Um, and I guess that's about it. Let's uh, let's hit it. Three things. Let's play a game. All right. Count of three. One. Alrighty. I'll take it off. Two. The oil patterns on a PBA lane are very very difficult. I might be able to beat Jamarcus Russell at quarterback. <laughs> this is the funnest night ever. <laughs> Did we just become best friends? Yep. Now let's move on to other business. If I were Jorge Posada, I would probably hit where the manager writes my name <laughs> on the lineup card and be happy that my name is still even on the lineup card. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure most of you know the story by now. A couple days ago, Jorge Posada was moved in the lineup from wherever he is comfortable hitting, probably around 6th, down to ninth in the batting order. And he refused to play. Took his ball, went home that day. Came back the next day, apologized, said he was having a bad day, said he didn't mean it. The Yankees decided not to punish him, which I thought was you know, a good thing for a great Yankee. He's won a lot of championships there and had a really great track record. But like his good buddy Derek Jeter, he's kind of slowing down. And to say that he's slowing down, it, that might be very polite, an man. understatement. Uh, currently, he is batting a 1.65 with six home runs, uh, 15 RBIs. His OBP is 2.78 and his slugging is 3.49. Now, if you look at his career numbers, he's a career 273 hitter, so well down there. Uh, his OBP, he's a career 376. Like I said, he's at 278. And he's a career 476 down to a career, or a career th- 476 slugging down to a point three four nine. So, Jorge Posada, whew, I don't know. Be careful. My first uh, thing this week, you mentioned players graduating from college to the NFL Troy Palomalu, this past Friday, at the age of 30, 
graduated from USC. Uh, he was drafted in his 2003 after his senior year there, but he hadn't earned the degree. Um, he went back to school this semester uh, using the NFL lockout to the best of his uh, advantage, I guess, as opposed to Reggie Bush and Ocho Cinco who <laughs> ride bowls and, and sit on the on beach Twitter, or whatever. Yeah. yeah. So he went back, he finished up, and he uh, got his bachelor's in history. He says, quote, I decided to finish what I started and walk that stage today not only because it was very important to me personally, because I, but because I want to emphasize the importance of education and that nothing should supersede it. So I'm not the biggest Troy Palomalu fan or anything like that, but that's a nice, classy move. Good for him. You know, it's a, it's a really cool thing. And I, there's stories like this all the time. You know, players... Because of the nature of the draft and where the draft is in terms of a college semester, basically the big-name football players, they have their bags packed and ready to go after that bowl game. Right. And, uh, you know, they kind of leave class and they go and prepare to be drafted, and that makes sense. But I always feel good when I hear about the guy make, who makes good on his scholarship and you know goes back and finishes the education because it gives them a really good op- – it, it makes them better role models, really. Right, right. You know, and it gives them the opportunity to preach about things like education and know not everyone's going to make it. So definitely good job there. All right. My second thing is an announcement, sort of, and uh, a story that was very well covered by GQ. Now, in a couple of weeks – those guys have all the fun, which is a book by James Miller, will be lifted from embargo <laughs> and made available to people everywhere. It comes out on May 24th. And James, I think he's sitting on gold, Don. Uh, they've had this book under lock and key. And yesterday, the first words of the book were printed in the media. Uh, GQ.com has an excerpt from the book which focuses on Keith Olbermann. And I have to say, Keith Olbermann just seems like a giant prick when you read this. And the funny thing about it is he responded to it on Twitter and he only disputes one point, and that is the point that the ESPN executive that's interviewed claims that he left ESPN because they decided not to offer him a contract. Overman says that he left because he told them he was leaving, and that's why they didn't offer him a contract. Okay. Other than that, he says everything in the article is true. And if you read the article, which I said is on GQ.com, and they, they draw a funny – there's a funny picture of him, a caricature, and he's like got steam coming out of his ears, and he's ready. He looks like the devil. And that's really the way he, come ac- he comes across. And it's funny, in his tweet, he, he kind of – kind of almost ex- accepts it and he, he says yeah everything else is true and then he mentions the book and he says sigh <laughs> you know like oh man they're gonna find out about what i'm really like and, and you know for a guy who was making three hundred thousand dollars to read about sports he just was never happy and i think that's carried over to some of his other jobs but i'm really excited because we will have a copy of this book to give away a copy of the book to read and james miller will be on this podcast on Tuesday, May 31st, which is episode number 22. 22, and he will join us to talk about the book, and uh, I am really excited for that. So that's my number two thing. My second thing uh, is the NHL could use all the good publicity it gets. It doesn't need to be suing 
small business owners. Um, there's a man in Montreal, Fadal Issa. I'm probably saying that wrong. Middle Eastern guy, Middle Eastern restaurant, owner of a Basha franchise. I'm not familiar with that type of food. You're not? No. Um, but they are demanding $89,000 from him for a restaurant sign that displayed a Canadian sweater and the words Go Habs Go, and it was apparently cutting like a piece of uh, the food he would serve there. And he since, as soon as he learned about the infringement, he painted over the Canadian's logo and uh, the slogan. And he has even since taken it down completely. Obviously, they're not in the playoffs anymore. But uh, he says, I'm surprised. It can't be serious. It's nonsense. I see places all around Montreal showing the Go Habs Go. And the lawyer who didn't respond to the article did send an email, or the NHL did send an email saying, quote, the NHL takes seriously the protection of the league and team trademark rights. I would understand if this was Walmart using the logo right. or whatever is in Canada, like Future Shop or whatever, the big, big companies that are clearly taking advantage of it. But this is just a guy that basically hung a Canadian's flag outside his store. I mean... I wonder if there's a backstory in the sense that this guy, if they've been chasing this guy forever, if they constantly Different have problems. to get on Yeah, him. I don't know. Other than that, I mean, it seems like he made a mistake. They pointed it out to him. It seems like he acted right away. Acted right away, and it seems like the lawsuit's just unnecessary. Yeah, he said the idea came from his kids. <laughs> so, Damn can kids. Bl- can blame them. It's a $90,000 suggestion. <laughs> All right. Man, this lockout is getting long. Today on ESPN.com, the power rankings came out, not for the teams or the draft or anything like that, but the helmets. <laughs> wow. Yeah, the, the, we've gotten to the point where there's so little NFL news that the NFL or ESPN writers, bored as they may be, uh, decided to write a column ranking the helmets. So let's have a little bit of fun with it because it is kind of a cool idea that I maybe wish I thought of myself. So, you, so you've read I haven't read it. Let me, yeah. let me take a guess. Yeah. I'm going to yep. say uh, like – Try to get see how many you can get out of the top ten as quickly as you can. Let's do say that. Green Bay. Green Bay is not in the top ten. Really, I yeah. figured they maybe. Let me tell it. you how they did it. Okay, they took all of the ESPN division writers and John. You know how they have the bloggers for each division, right? Right. right. They took all those guys. It looks like John Clayton as well, and they asked them for a top ten, and then each one was given points. You know, one to ten, and then the helmets with the most amount of points were. Right. Uh, you know, anointed the winner. Um, Did they say how they graded him? Just personal preference? It says that uh, as we continue our power ranking series, it's time to look beyond the player and examine what is wrapped around his head. Let's blow the lid off the NFL helmet caper, shall we? Um, it says that we just put artistic eyes together and came up with our top 10 NFL helmets. Consensus? No, not even close. So it sounds like they just... Judge based on Visual the eye appeal. test. Yeah. So, oh, Green Bay is number four, by the way. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, you're one for one. Green Bay is number four. Uh, I'll go with the Pittsburgh Steelers. Number one. Uh, let's go with the Oakland slash LA Raiders. Number three. <laughs> um, let's go with the. Mm, New York Giants. Ding. Strike one. Uh, one more strike, and you're out. Let's go. I can't even think of teams. I'm drawing a blank. Let's go with the uh, New Orleans Saints. Ding, number 11. Really? 
Number one, Pittsburgh Steelers. Number two, Indianapolis Colts. Number three, Oakland Raiders. Number four, Green Bay Packers. Number five, San Diego Chargers. Number six, Dallas Cowboys. Number seven, Minnesota Vikings. Dallas, yeah. Eight, the Browns. Uh, really? Nine, the Bears. Ten, the Dolphins. Uh, the the Saints, Dolphins? Yeah, the Saints were 11. Chiefs were 12. Rams, 13. The Buffalo Bills, number 22. Now, here's an interesting thing about this. The Bills are going to have a new helmet. Okay. But the interesting thing is it ends at 26. <laughs> the Jacksonville Jaguars got one point. So that means there's more than 26 teams in the league. There sure are. So that means there are some helmets that did not even receive a vote. And uh, The Patriots. The Patriots just snuck in there. The Titans. Flaming thumbtacks, as uh, Tuesday morning quarterback likes to call them. Titans did not make it. Who else would be on that list? Well, anyway, a bunch of teams didn't make it. Check it out. Uh, It's on ESPN.com slash blog slash AFC West. You should be able to find it. We've gotten to the point where we're ranking Ranking the helmets. We're going to do the jerseys. Are they going to do the jerseys next week? Right up. Yeah. Um, My final thing uh, comes from GatorCountry.com. It's a Florida Gators website. And I'm not a big Gators fan or anything. I just a lot of passion, to though. stumble upon this article. They have a thing called Incoming Gators Q&A. They uh, do a little review, uh, interview with all the freshmen. I don't know about all of them, but with the incoming freshmen. And this interview is with a wide receiver, Jajuan, Jajuan Story. Whew. He's a 6'4", 192-pound receiver out of Brooksville, Florida, so local boy. And they interview him about all sorts of things, and they get to an interesting topic of his pregame rituals they ask quote what's your favorite pregame ritual and he says quote well i take a doo-doo before every <laughs> game i doo-doo they say that's your favorite pregame ritual well that's the only thing i do that's one thing i have to do before every game or i won't feel energy i'll just feel slow when i do i just feel light on my feet and everything and i feel faster so that's what i do then they say you know where i'm going to write a, this in a story right well, I mean, that's that's what it is. I do do, and then listen to Katy Perry. <laughs> <laughs> so, Jajuan's story, uh, you got to like his honesty. Hey, he doo-doos. He, he doo-doos before the game. What, what can you do about it, right? I mean, what? it is what it is. Yep. All right, so that wraps up three things for today. Going forward on this 20th edition of the Sportscasters, we are going to take a break. We're going to come back with an interview with Peter King. Also, after that, we will update our book club. The book of the month is The Captain, The Journey of Derek Jeter by Ian O'Connor. We will update that, and then we will have an interview with Dave Damashek, and we will cap it all off with pick four and Don. It is ugly. (laughs) So we will be right back with Peter King. Our next guest is from Springfield, Massachusetts, and is a graduate of Ohio University. After graduation, he began working at the Cincinnati Inquirer, where he covered college sports and professional football from 1980 to 1985. 
Next, he worked from 1985 to 1989 for New York Newsday, covering the beat for Bill Parcells and the New York Giants. In 1989, he started to work with Sports Illustrated, where he is now a senior writer. In 1997, his Monday morning QB column debuted, and today is a must-read for fans, league insiders, and anyone who loves the NFL. Currently, he is a reporter for NBC Football Night in America's studio show. He also co-hosts a Sirius Radio's The Opening Drive, which airs weekdays from 8 to 11 a.m. Eastern. In 2009, he won the McCann Award given to Professional Football Writers of America members who have provided long and distinguished service to the profession. And just last night, the NSSA named him the National Sports Writer of the Year. A warm sportscaster's welcome to the great Peter King. How are you doing today, Peter? I'm doing great. Thank you for making me sound a lot more important than I am. Well, you know, it's there's that many more important people than the uh, National Sports Writer of the Year when you're doing a sports podcast. So we're just very, very grateful that you uh, set some time apart for our little thing, and we really appreciate no it. No problem at all. Kind of an inter- interesting coincidence came up. Last week we ha- talked to Jason Lochnafora a little bit, and he had started out his career working the beat for the Detroit Red Wings and the NHL's most probably legendary coach in Scotty Bowman was the coach at the time. And it's kind of interesting now to have you on this week. And you, one of your first jobs was working the beat for a team coached by Bill Parcells. And uh, it's just pretty interesting to have you guys on, you know, one week after another. And I'd love to hear maybe a story or two about your time uh, working with Parcells and, and what it was like to be around such a, you know, a great football mind and uh, established coach and probably a Hall of Famer someday? Well, I, I think the interesting thing about Parcells is that, um, you know, later on I, I spent a lot of time around Jimmy Johnson, who, uh, you know, majored in psychology at the University of Arkansas. And when I covered Parcells, I have no idea what he majored in college uh, at Wichita State, but it was probably something. I, d- I mean, I doubt it was psychology. <laughs> it might have been phys ed or something. I really have no idea. But he was he was a shrink. He was every day trying to figure out what was going on in the heads of his players and how he can motivate them. I g- I'll give you a good example. Lawrence Taylor was going through a period, uh, I'm guessing it was, maybe 87 or 88, where every time he would play against the Los Angeles Rams, Irv Pankey, the tackle of the Rams, uh, obliterated him. Hmm. And uh, so he, uh, uh, Parcells figured that, you know, they had a game against the Rams coming up, and he figured that he was going to have to try to find some way to shake Taylor up and to, to, to rattle his cage because some players you can deal with that way, and some players you, you've got to be a little bit more careful about dealing with them. So what he did was he got a phony airplane ticket, and he had an itinerary printed up uh, to New Orleans, and the plane ticket was from Newark to New Orleans. And uh, he uh, Taylor saw it on his stool when he came into work, and Parcells uh, said to him, I got a ticket for you for New Orleans. You're going to go down, and you're going to give Pat Swilling uh, your return ticket, he's going to come back. And since you both wear number 56, Swilling can handle Panky. You can't. This is a big game, and we got to win it. And <laughs> he starts, and, he, and, and Taylor just, like, blows up, and he says, I'm going to kick Panky's rear end. 
he goes out. I think he had a sack and a half and hit uh, the quarterback. I don't know whether it was Jim Everett or somebody. Hit him a few times in the game. And uh, I, I, that was, it didn't always work, but I think it's one of those things that Parcells always felt like he could get to any player on his roster, uh, no matter whether they're one of the best players of all time, uh, like Taylor, or whether they are a, uh, you know, just simply, a, a, you know, the 46th guy on the roster. It's kind of legendary, the, uh, the somewhat, I guess, love-hate relationship that he had with Phil Simms. What was it like uh, covering the two of them, and, and do you have any interesting insight into their relationship, which has been often debated? Um, uh, are, are you talking about Parcells and Sims? Yeah. Parcells, yeah, Parcells and Sims. I, you know, Sims had tremendous respect for Parcells, even though he knew that Parcells used him a lot. I mean, it wouldn't be out of the question for Parcells to say to Sims, uh, listen, have thick skin today, I'm going to get on you. Parcells always knew that the other guys on the team needed to know that he would get on the superstar quarterback. And so there were many days where Parcells would be killing Sims at practice and the other guys would love it because Sims was Sims and Taylor were the big stars of the team. And they would love to see Sims just totally get waylaid by Parcells. But uh, I think now Phil realizes why he was doing it. I think he realized it at the time, too. Phil realized why he was doing it and uh, knew that Parcells was only trying to do something good for the team. So occasionally he'd get ticked off at Parcells, but it would never last. I know it hasn't been that long since Bill Parcells has been out of coaching, you know, quite a bit now, I, I suppose. Um, do you think one of the reasons he did get out of coaching is because maybe some of his techniques that had worked in the 80s and the 90s maybe were a little bit more difficult to implement with the modern-day no, athlete? I think, I, think he, I think the biggest reason why he got out and then went back in and yo-yoed a few times is because there was a couple of times in his career where he was legitimately ill, where he had heart problems, um, where you know he had put on weight and just was feeling terrible. Um, and then I think at the end of the day, the stress at the, la- the at the end in Dallas, the stress was just way too much. Remember his last game? It was in Seattle where Romo yep. mishandled the snap, yeah. and you know Parcells was there trying to. You know, he'd been there four years trying to take them to a Super Bowl, and he loses a playoff game in essence because his quarterback can't handle the snap from center on a field goal. Um, Unbelievable. Those were the kind of things that I think at the end of the day were just driving him crazy. And I think stress played a big part when he decided to walk away the several times he did. I think he was under under a lot of stress and just was not feeling well a couple of those times. All right, let's change gears. Let's talk a little bit about last night. Uh, I said at the beginning that last night you were named the uh, Sports Writer of the Year by the, what was it, the NSSA? And I know yeah, Mike, National Sportscasters and Sports Writers Association. And, and I know Mike Trico, I believe, was maybe uh, yeah. awarded as well. What was the night like? Uh, where does this award rank among your many? And, uh, you know, just how did the night go? Um. I think the nice, you know, it's one of the nicest things that's ever happened to me in any in any part of my life, and just so, I mean, I'm truly honored um, uh, beyond belief that 
that uh, a group of whatever it is, five or six hundred writers across the country would, um, you know, would uh, would admire my work uh, more than some of the other great guys who were up uh, and I was in competition with. And, you know, it was a stunning evening. It was just, you know, it's just nice to see, you know, we, we in the media are trashed a lot. It's nice to see uh, a night where people in the media are appreciated a little bit. Um, not to say we don't deserve to be trashed sometimes, but you know, I, I just think it was nice, and I think it was it was really it was fun for me to be involved in a group with you know with Bob Ryan and Mike Tirico and and uh, some of the others who got honored last night. It was just that was a uh, just a really pleasant night. You mentioned uh, the media being trashed quite a bit, and I think that's become more and more prevalent in the last few years as Twitter. And blogs have become more and more popular, and you're kind of one of the one of the main guys who's kind of embraced Twitter. You've used it quite a bit, and uh, you have over five hundred and forty thousand followers, I believe now. But not all of them are nice to you, and and you take a lot of really <laughs> tough shots. And and I kind of respect the fact that you take those shots in stride. You post them. Sometimes you make the guy kind of just look like an idiot, and I think you get a chuckle out of that. Uh, but what has Twitter been like, and how has it changed your career? And uh, does it take a special guy to deal with all of the the negativity that people can easily hide behind the anonymity? No, I think, um, I mean, the, the, the part about the negativity, it's out there. And I think, you know, the thing about the old days of sports writing, I think it was, you know, even the real famous guys, you know, like, uh, you know, my predecessors, Will McDonough and Jim Murray, and a lot of the really, truly major icons in the history of sports writing um you know they they might get letters to their mailbox at the newspaper uh and they might hear from 10 fans a week about something that they might have written but you know i i think one of the strengths of the new media today is that let's say you read something by me that you think is really really good then you can write to me on twitter two seconds after you finish it and say, fantastic job. Or you can write to me conversely and say, that's, that's ridiculous. You're in, you know, you're in bed with Favre or you're, yeah, whatever. <laughs> I mean, right. and all I can say is um, I appreciate all of them because it's unvarnished truth. It's truth serum. And, you know, whereas I think a lot of people would feel, boy, you won't probably only want to read the nice ones. I, you know, of course you want to be complimented, but I want to know if people think that I did a crap job. I just do, because I think uh, it's easy to fool yourself in this business. Now, I, sometimes if people will criticize me online, you know, I'll, I'll laugh it off, and sometimes I'll say, hey, you know, you're, you're right. Uh, you know, I deserve to be criticized. During the Super Bowl this year, uh, you know, a, a, a parenthetical, one parenthetical word. Uh, a, when I was quoting Roger Goodell about uh, Ben Roethlisberger's teammates, you know, talking to a bunch of his teammates and not finding any support for him. Well, it sure as heck sounded like that's what Goodell said, but I assumed that that's what he said. He never said the word Steelers. You mm. know, he, he just said players. And uh, I put... Uh, you know, I made it seem like he was talking about Steeler players, and he wasn't. So, 
so I had to fall on the sword, which I should have done. Uh, and, you know, a bunch of people were highly, highly critical of me at the time. I'll never trust you again, blah, blah, blah. But the one thing we have to do in our business, I believe, when we make a mistake, you have to own up to it. You have to admit it. And uh, you've got to uh, work hard to try to regain the trust of the people who might not trust you as much anymore. If that fails, the athletes seem to be able to get away with it by just saying, uh, "We, I was just kidding." Like that was the Reggie <laughs> well, Bush. That's, yeah, that's, that's Ocho's way. <laughs> yeah, right. Ocho, Reggie Bush. Yeah, just I was just kidding. Just joking. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we talk about how your job has changed a little bit with uh, Twitter being so prevalent, but another thing that seems to have changed your job over the last couple of years is uh, the unfortunate illness of Paul Zimmerman. And it seems like since that happened, you've had to kind of take on a couple of hats at Sports Illustrated that maybe you're not the most comfortable with. Things like making the Sports Illustrated Super Bowl prediction, which you nailed last year, even though you kind of got away from it around playoff time, but you still nailed it in spring. And doing things like you just did with the mock draft. And I I can kind of get a sense on Twitter when people will kind of get on you about the mock draft and you'll kind of be like, well, you know what? I don't even like doing this anyway. You know, I'm just doing my best and I'm trying to help my friend and I'm trying to fill in the void at the magazine. Am I right in kind of sensing those things that these are not maybe your favorite? Well, I'm not a big fan of the mock draft because uh, I, I know that this happens, you know, that, you know, you get, you start talking to people about the draft, and uh, you know that one guy at the top of the draft who can sort of uh, misrepresent what his team might do, one guy can ruin everything and can make the dominoes fall in a difficult way. And look, it's fun. Fans get a kick out of it. But anybody who thinks that it's a measure of how good you are, I mean, last year, was it last year or the year before, nobody... In our business, in the in the you know in the football beat cover coverage business, does a better job dissecting the draft and knowing the players and knowing what teams are going to do than Rick Gosselin of the Dallas Morning News. And one of the last two years, he nailed three out of thirty-two picks. Huh. So I mean, you know, I'm I'm I just I I I look up to to Goose as much as anybody who I'm a peer with. I mean, I just think he's absolutely tremendous, and I'm close to him, and, and I, don't, I don't point that out to say, ha-ha. I point it out to say, if sometimes he's going to get three, what are the rest of us going to do? One of the other weird things about the mock draft is this year, my, my mock draft um, had to be done 11 days before the, before the first round. And there are guys who are putting up their mock draft at noon on the day of the draft. Right. And they're comparing, you know, people are saying, well, so-and-so did better than so-and-so. Well, tell me when it was put up. Uh-huh. Well, I mean, you know, it's, it's ridiculous. It's total apples and oranges, like a triple-A team batting against the Yankees uh, or something. You know, so anyway, bottom line in the whole thing is I, I think that um, – I'm not a big fan of doing that. Now, as far as the Super Bowl prediction, I really enjoy doing that. Okay. I think that's fun uh, because it's everybody's best guess, you know, and uh, I, I kind of enjoy doing that. Last year I got lucky uh, at the beginning of the season and uh, sort of wimped out at the end going <laughs> with the Patriots and Packers instead of the Steelers and the Packers. 
but um, you know, I look forward to doing that because I think it. Um, I think you 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 try to read the tea leaves, and you try to actually see what the heck is going on. Uh, you know, six months before it happens, I kind of think that's fun. I'm going to take a wild guess and assume that the reason that your mock draft was due 11 days before was because of maybe all of the multimedia that they put into it in the iPad version of the mock draft. That could be wrong, but even if it is, I just wonder how you enjoy the magazine on the iPad. And, I uh, think it's fantastic. So do I. I, I mean, I'm huge. I love it. It's like a living, breathing thing. It's really, uh, it's really fun. Um, and I think that's one of the ways that SI is trying to stay current, really. I mean, you're trying to, uh, you're trying to be as, as smart and as good as you can uh, in terms of keeping up with modern technology. And, I mean, the photos are just they're stunning. All right, let's talk a little bit of football, and I don't mean the legal stuff because, you know what, I don't understand it, and I don't really care about it. I just hope they work it out. Let's go back to the draft. Who do you think won the draft this year? Who do you think lost the draft? Give us a few teams that you thought did well. Give us a few teams that you thought. I thought the Lions did well because I think getting fairly at, uh, at 12 um, and, uh, or 13, wherever they were, and I think getting a Boise State receiver, Titus Young, was really a good thing. Uh, I, I just I think they did well. I think the Bengals did well. Um, and, and I think I think one other team that I liked um, if Colin Kaepernick plays well is I like what the 49ers did. They took some chances. Uh, they picked Alden Smith too early probably, but he's the guy who they liked the best. Right. Any losers? Um, I you know I'm still waiting for the Patriots to... Make a pick? <laughs> well, I'm waiting for the Patriots to pick somebody who's going to impact their defense in a big way. Now, last year, they picked Devin McCourty, who is a really good impact player. They do not have a pass rusher on that team who's going to put the fear in anybody. That's the thing. I just I thought the Patriots, and it may turn out that they're going to be fine, but I thought the Patriots could have done a lot better with the resources they had. What do you think is going to happen with Reggie Bush in New Orleans? I think he's going to sign in New Orleans for less money. And I think he'll, uh, because I think at the end of the day, he knows that he's not going to be a regular back anywhere, and he doesn't want to be a regular back. He can't take the punishment of being a regular back. So I think he's better off letting Sean Payton handle him. And it's, you know, it's sort of like, uh, you know, a good pitching coach handling a pitching staff. I think Sean Payton knows how to handle Reggie Bush, and I think that's the uh, I think that's the uh, that's the best way to look at it. I think there's two interesting quarterback situations in terms of the quarterbacks and then the teams themselves, and that's Cincinnati with Carson Palmer and Washington with Donovan McNabb. What do you think happens to those two players? Well, you're t- you're talking. <laughs> Cincinnati's not going to have Carson Palmer. He's not going to play there. I'd be, right. I should say this. I'd be very surprised, and I'd lose some respect for Palmer if he played there. I really would, mm-hmm. because he has drawn a line in the sand and said categorically to friends, to Marvin Lewis, I am not playing there. And if he goes back, no matter what the deal is, I'd, I'd lose respect for him. Uh, he'd be breaking his bonded word, in my opinion. Donovan McNabb is not on the Redskins anymore. He's on the Redskins in contract, but 
he's not going to be on that team anymore. Right. When the free agency uh, finally does begin, are there any big names? Well, the, going- the only guy, the only guy I think is going to make tremendous difference day one on some team, uh, obviously, is Namdi Asamoah. Mm-hmm. I mean, the only cornerback who's better in any way, in my opinion, in the NFL right now is Darrell Revis. Yeah. I mean, very, very rarely, Namdi Asamoah, in my opinion, could have nearly a Reggie White-type impact on a contending team. Um, uh, if I were the Detroit Lions right now, I would spare no expense to go get him. I think it would be a great signing for the Lions. Uh, I think the Lions are closer than anybody thinks. Um, if I were Houston, I'd try hard to go get him. Uh, so I don't know. We'll see. But he'll clearly be the big impact player out of this uh, uh, out of this uh, out of this deal. What about uh, Kevin Cobb? I mean, there's a few teams in the NFC West that are just short of quarterback from winning that division. I mean, that division is up for grabs basically every year as it is. You get a competent quarterback on, on uh, Arizona, Seattle, and that might be the entire the, all the difference that one of those teams in that division needs. See, I think I think Arizona still is the front runner for him, but I don't think it's a lock he's going anywhere. And the biggest reason is so many teams that were interested in him have have uh, addressed their quarterback situation. If you're the Minnesota Vikings and you spent the eighth pick in the draft right. on him, um, you know why in the world would you then or eighth pick in the draft? Tennessee Titans and Minnesota Vikings. Right. I'm, I'm getting discombobulated. At, at eight, and, eight 12, and twelve, they yeah. both wanted quarterbacks. They take Jake Locker and Christian Ponder. Why would you bring in Donovan McNabb unless you were bringing him in only for a year, for a year to yeah. you know to get the other guy ready? To me, that's uh, that's I don't see there's any any profitable uh, or in any way that that would profit either the Vikings or the Titans. I mean, Arizona I think is possible. Um, I think Seattle is slightly possible. Um, you know, it's going to be it'll be an odd situation. I think I think Miami's possible, but they lost a lot of possible places for him to go uh, with the with free agency not coming before the draft. Do you think there's a chance he stays? Yo, very much so. Really? Yeah. I, and if I were Andy Reid, I would keep him. I'm afraid that Michael Vick is <laughs> you know he, Michael Vick has played one full Take season in hits. his career. Yeah, he takes a lot I mean, of hits. They've got a contending team. They're a good team, and you know if you are the Philadelphia Eagles, and you say, uh, "Okay, our quarterback, our backup quarterback, you know, is this Kafka kid from Northwestern," I, I, you know, and knowing that he's probably going to have to play perhaps significant time this year, I think it's a mistake. And doesn't it seem kind of like Vic has done this before a little bit? Maybe not from the passing sense necessarily, but he'll have a great stretch. Uh, and then teams just figure him out. I mean, I'm not sure that Cobb might not be the better long-term answer there still. That's a good question uh, because we still don't know if Vic can be healthy for a full season. Right. And that's, I, just, I just think it's a very, very dangerous. I think Andy Reid's playing with fire. I really do. I, think, I mean, I think he'll make a reasoned decision, but whatever decision he makes, it could blow up in his face. All right, we have the sportscasters here with the great Peter King. A couple more minutes left. Uh, you can obviously find Peter's Monday Morning Quarterback column on SI.com, and you can follow him on Twitter at SI underscore Peter King. You were one of the very first people to kind of forecast the fact that there was definitely going to be labor trouble this year. I remember you talking about it 
years ago, it seems like. So I ask you then, how will this end? In your opinion, you had such good foresight on how it would begin. What's your opinion on how this will end? I think in about a month, the Eighth Circuit in St. Louis, the appeals court, a three-judge panel, is going to overturn Judge Nelson's ruling from Minneapolis and uh, is going to rule two to one that uh, the injunction is overturned and the players uh, are still going to be locked out. At that point, um, I think that, uh, you know, unless the players get significant financial relief from David Doty in the television case, which is probably going to come to a head this week, um, and unless Doty can uh, make this money available to players, uh, in time for this regular season. Um, I mean, if that happens, I think we're headed for a long, a, a nuclear winter. I think we're headed for missed games, multiple weeks of missed games. But I, I kind of believe that there will be some motivation for both sides to talk as soon as the, uh, the lockout is reinforced about a month from now. Um, when that happens, both sides are going to say, unless the TV money has been released, and I really don't think it will be. But uh, I think both sides are then going to say, okay, look, you know, we have got a huge, uh, we both have, both sides have motivation to come to the table and try to get something done. Now, if, if you rewind back to when Gene Upshaw was the head of the uh, Players Association, not to speak negative or negatively of someone deceased, but... He was hard-headed. He almost seemed to have like a hatred for the owners. He was uh, very outspoken about how the players would never accept a cap. Did you think that with his passing that maybe it would be a little, like the talks would be a little bit more uh, peaceable and uh, just productive? Um, no, I didn't really know what to expect with D. Smith because he was the unknown quantity. Yeah, um, right. And I think that, uh, I think D. Smith has basically been his advertised. He's a tough a hard-nosed, pugnacious, when he needs to be negotiator who, um, you know, is going to side with, with his guys uh, pretty consistently. And to me, um, I think he's done a good job for his players to this point. And, you know, nobody said this was going to be easy to get a deal done, and it hasn't been. Last question for you, Peter. If there isn't any football this fall, what is Monday morning quarterback going to look like? You have said that it will live on. Oh, it'll be it'll be fantastic. <laughs> it'll be if there's no NFL games, um, unless I've got some duties for NBC that prevent me from doing this. My plan is to go to uh, a college game or games every weekend, maybe even a high school game. In addition to that, that really is Americana. I want to go see a, a seven-man football game in uh, in Montana. You know, I want to go. See, I want to go see some really fun events. I want to go see Oregon, Oregon State play. Uh, the Civil I, War, I, I yeah. mean, I just I want to see a lot of the games that I've never been able to see all the years covering the NFL. So I, I don't mean to uh, to uh, sound like. Uh, Curmudgeon? <laughs> no, not a curmudgeon. I, I don't mean to sound like James Earl Jones um, in Field of Dreams, but 
Oh, there will most definitely be Monday morning quarterback. There, you know, there, there most definitely will be, and uh, it'll be it'll be a lot of fun whether there's NFL games or not. So, but we won't be looking forward to any UFL coverage then. <laughs> it could be. I don't know. I mean, I I, I would I, I've already. Uh, I mean, I don't want to give anything away, but I want to go stand alongside Jerry Glanville on the sidelines of a uh, Hartford Colonials game. Ah, that'd be fun. Close to you. I mean, too. I, I, I want to do I want to do some things that we haven't done. Yeah. Just, and try to make it a lot of fun. Look, if for some reason the NFL and the players are dumb enough to not play games this fall for either one week or for multiple weeks, uh, I'm not going to let that, um, you know, take away what I believe is the overwhelming enjoyment of people in this country um, their, their love affair with football I mean I'll be um, I'll be trying to find it in different parts of this country I'd hate to be the guy who canceled football in New York uh, the 10 year anniversary of 9-11 That'd be, it's not uh, going to be good no not at all Peter King thank you very very much for your time here on the Sportscasters we really appreciate it Hopefully fun we'll... being on with you guys good luck to you thank, thank you. you see ya All right, we are back with a real quick book club update. Uh, the book of the month is The Captain, The Journey of Derek Jeter by Ian O'Connor. We kind of mentioned last week that it just made the most sense. It's kind of one of those books right now. It's getting a lot of buzz. Don's going to check exactly where it is in terms of rankings on Amazon and things like that. Uh, but I've been reading it hardcore here the last week. I'm on uh, about halfway through. I've gotten to the point in Jeter's career where he is about to make that great flip play against Oakland, and I'm interested to see how the book will kind of treat that play. But it, it's been a really interesting read, just kind of going through the career. Derek Jeter, I think, you know, Connor did a really good job on it. Uh, I think that Derek Jeter, it's interesting, because Derek Jeter kind of did but didn't cooperate with the book. Uh, I, I think he was kind of disappointed it was being written. I know the first thing he said to Ian was, well, you're writing a book about my career, but my career isn't over yet. Uh, Red Sox fan can insert joke now. <laughs> uh, but he did cooperate. He did interview. And like I said, the cool thing about it is, you know, Connor has been following the career of Derek Jeter as long as anybody. And he didn't just need interviews now to kind of know the different situations in the book. And uh, I think everyone will really like it. And Ian, I've been working with the publisher, will be on the show one of the next, uh, near the end of the month or the beginning of June. So you got some time to read it, and we are going to have a copy to give away. And you know what? I think we might as well just kind of – I think right around Father's Day, we're going to kind of do a book club episode. Uh, I think Glenn Stout's going to come on and help us with that, kind of just give a bunch of book ideas for uh, Father's Day because I think sports books are a great uh, gift as in terms of like the tie or something like that uh, for fathers. But that's where we're at on the book club. Don, what do we got for rankings? It is currently number two in uh, the sports, sports – uh, baseball category. Follow, uh, number one is Stan Musial in American Life. I'm not sure what is overall in sports. I'm just going to look that up. Number one is uh, obviously the ESPN book, even though it's not out yet. Yep. Um, overall in sports, it's number 16. Number so, 16. So Not bad at all. Yeah, definitely kind of a sports book right now to be reading. And I got – let's take a picture of it and put it on the blog. But it's pretty cool. These books, they come with – 
they come with these interesting kind of junkets. And uh, they give you a little bit of information about the author, and they give you a little interview, and they give you some notes for the book. And you know what this basically is? It's for lazy interviewers. Yeah. yeah. You know, people, they give you this sheet. Like I said, I'll take a picture. It's cliff notes. It's exactly what it is. So if you have Ian on, you can spend 15 minutes reading about his book instead of four or five days or whatever I'll spend on it. So kind of an interesting thing. But The Captain by Ian O'Connor, Book of the Month. We'll be right back with the great Dave Damashek. All right, the next guest on the 20th edition of the Sportscasters is the best friend any podcast could have, Dr. Funny, Dave Jamashek. How are you doing today, Dave? Well, first of all, it's pronounced Damashek, so <laughs> clearly we're dear friends. And two, I bit my tongue or something there. on number 20. And three, uh, why, what you said the next guest. What exactly does that mean? If I'm the best friend, then that assumes that I would be the first guest. You're the closer. Yeah, you're like the Mariana Rivera, the sportscasters. Oh, you know how that sounds to me? Patronizing and condescending. You think I'm a dummy? <laughs> What's wrong you're, with Mariana Rivera? Last, who am I following? Tell me who I'm following. You're following Peter King. Who's that? <laughs> <laughs> the only reason you're following Peter King is because he was available at 4 o'clock Eastern. You were not available until 9.15 Eastern. You don't tell my personal business. You don't air my dirty laundry like that. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm not. I, I'm not Peter King, uh, uh, sitting up on uh, on high, looking down at the rest of the sports world on my schedule. I'm a working man, fellas. <laughs> so so that, okay. By the way, I just see it's a tie game now to to show that uh, what time we're doing this. It's uh, now two apiece uh-huh. in, uh, in Boston. But, oh, yeah, but I, by the way, was that? Am I, well, I guess I'm a little late to ask this question. I hope you guys aren't TiVoing it. No, we actually we were listening. It was pretty funny because we were listening to the radio broadcast of it on my iPad, and we were listening to the uh, Tampa speed. Bay Lightning guys, and oh, man, they're just crying up a storm over there. Why so? I, ju- I, I just got home. In I the don't know. They're just every, every call. Oh, I can't believe they called that us. Oh, I can't believe they didn't call that on them. Just the biggest babies I ever listened to call a hockey game. It sounds maybe like one should, of them is one of the Esposito's. Uh, that they're fortunate uh, to have a hockey team considering that they play in Tampa Bay and they have no business even being this deep into the playoffs. And no, it has nothing to do with my bitterness that they defeated <laughs> uh, the team I root for, the Pittsburgh Penguins. I philosophically do not like hockey in the Southeast, and I pine for the day when the Phoenix Coyotes become the Winnipeg Jets once again, and I pine for the day when uh, the Tampa Bay Lightning become the Quebec Nordique, and uh, when the Florida Panthers become the uh, become the Hartford Whalers or something like that. You're not a fan of teams that don't have uh, names that end in S's either. So that's also two true, strikes. Yes. Yeah, yeah two strikes. Yeah, that's, it's ridiculous. Now, tell us about the new podcast. You got two episodes it's up. awesome. Yeah, tell us about it. Well, it's on NFL.com. Kind of hard uh, to find. they got to organize NFL.com a little bit better, I think. 
Is it really hard to find? Yeah, what you have to do is you have to first, if you go to NFL.com, you have to click on news. Then you need to click on blogs, right? Gives you a little You're drop down. Me. No, and you really, click on blogs. Hard. Then after you click on blogs, you have to click on sidelines. And after you click on sidelines, there's a couple thing, one thing, two things. And then the third thing is Dave Damashek and company. So it's not yeah. exactly one, one click books. access. You know, well, but, I'm sorry to hear that, that it's difficult. But uh, if you follow me on the Twitter, you'll see that uh, I have tweeted out. It's also available on iTunes. That's and, what uh, I did. I just subscribed on there. Yes, much obliged uh, yeah. for doing that. And... Um, uh, yeah, we just you know just got going with it, and uh, we we have done two um, nominally. We've right. done two, but we treated the first one sort of like a preseason game. Um, you know, get our feet wet and all that, like the Hall of Fame game in uh, August. You know, it says I didn't want the expectations too high. You know, it's the same thing. You get excited when the Hall of Fame game rolls around. And then it's like uh, 90 seconds in, you're over it. You're like, <laughs> yeah. oh, yeah, this doesn't really count for anything, and it's not that great, and whatever, and you move on. I'll look forward to the start of the real one. This was more a trial run. But uh, a few days ago, we got uh, the, the proper number one under our belt, and I thought that was a little bit better. And in a couple more days uh, from, from the time of this recording, this Thursday, we shall, uh, we shall uh, begin number two. Do you plan on doing them weekly for now and then increasing the volume during the season or will it always be weekly or what's the plan? No, definitely. I would like to expand it into a couple of week. Obviously, right now, there's not a ton of stuff to kibitz about. But, right. you know, obviously, this is this is sort of uh, my time of the season, really, or the time of the year when there isn't anything to talk about because – this affords me the opportunity to make a bunch of, uh, of lists about things and ranking things, and that's really what I like to do. It's my greatest passion. So and, one thing, uh, so, so I like to do all that kind of jazz, and that's what we're doing. We're breaking down other people's lists, too, right, right now, yep. quite a bit, like the uh, NFL, NFL Network. Network uh, yeah, just is doing their current list of uh, their 100 best of the current NFLers, and actually that's going to be the first bonus podcast that we do. I think that won't be out until – I think that'll be out on Monday – um, and it's going to be in response to the upcoming 61 through 70 of the top players. So me and my man Rank, who's on the podcast with me, um, are going to break down the uh, what we think of the 61 through 70. And so far, it's been an utter travesty. I don't know if you've been watching. Yeah, it's really some really strange things like Donovan McNabb still in the top 100. Is he even going to have a starting quarterback job when the season starts back up? Well, it's crazy. Yeah, I mean, it, well, also, that's really my, my beef with this thing more than anything else with this top 100 list is what are, what, are, what are the criteria then? If Donovan McNabb, again, if it's a career achievement thing, certainly he's in the top 100. In fact, he's probably in the top 12 or 15, I would say. But if it's based on 2010, then how would you possibly justify having him in there? He was atrocious. He was in the, you know, it, there were at least 25 quarterbacks better than he was. There's, he has no business based purely on what he did last year, he has no business being in that uh, top 100. And then, you know, directly ahead of him, you have Darren McFadden, who had, you know, one good year last year. And before that, he was a, he was considered bust, yeah. an abject bust. So yeah, how exactly get, are you doing that? He's going to get any, toe injuries. It, have there, been any, there haven't been any bills yet, right? I haven't seen any bills. I heard there's six Saints on the list. Somehow someone knows that already. Oh, I, I guess what? I don't want to – I can't say it. I, I – 
uh, I'm aware, and I've rejected it. Apparently, someone in-house, well, obviously, someone in-house at the NFL Network knows who all top 100 people are. But they said, well, if you're going to talk about it, do you want to see that? And I said, heaven forbid. You know, <laughs> I, I'm a man of the people. Let me see it when the people see it. And uh, but, I, but rest assured, it's going to make me loco because, like we just talked about, I'm already disgusted by some of the choices there. Steve, Stevie Johnson has to make the list, right? If you're talking about Buffalo Bills, no, and, I don't know. I don't, how could he? Well, I mean, well, if, if Donovan McNabb makes the, the list, I don't know. I mean, you know, listen, we've seen Santonio Holmes. So is he ahead of? Is Stevie Johnson ahead well, of Santonio yeah, Holmes? I don't know. I get maybe probably not. It, McNabb's just a weird choice. Fitzpatrick probably had a better year than McNabb did. Oh, I mean, I don't think there's any way you could argue that point, right? So, right, exactly, right. The Bills that's, might be that's stuck. That's a great way to look at yeah. it. Is is who is? Um, we know that's a great point. In, in fact, I'm going to steal it and give you no credit. <laughs> Thank um, you. And, and pass it off as my own. Um, yeah, that's a great perspective. Is if Donovan McNabb's on it, what guys were better than he was? And yeah, you know, I mean, listen, I can guarantee you, Ryan Fitzpatrick is not going to show up on that. Right, list. right. Are there, are there any bills? I doubt it. Literally. I doubt it. Probably not. Maybe not, the kicker? <laughs> I don't know. No, no way. There's not going to be a bill on there. I, I can't think of anyone who would make any sense if Stevie Johnson didn't make it. I mean, yeah, they, maybe he'll show up, but I mean, if he if he doesn't show up on this next Fred one, Jackson, I think that's it for him, right? No chance for Fred Jackson. Running backs are just too deep, probably. No, probably no. They don't have any great offensive linemen. Oh, what about, what about uh, Williams on the defense? Yeah, that's what I was just going to say. Kyle Williams. Kyle Williams, yeah. He had, maybe has a chance. Maybe. Yeah. But yeah, I, I, I would. Yeah, and that's the other thing is how does anybody, and, and I know this is, I'm sure if anybody can do it, it's the players. But really, do we really believe that? I don't, I, to be honest, I'm not sure exactly who the players were, if it was every single player responded to this or whatever. But does anybody actually believe that, that, that a cornerback, is uh, uh, is is capable of gauging how good an offensive lineman is? Seriously, I mean, really, right, right. does Champ Bailey? Do you think he has legitimate opinions on that? More legitimate than yours or mine? But do you suppose that Champ has some has some really insightful things to say about who he thinks is a great offensive lineman? I, I, I'm sure he. I, I would be willing to bet you he doesn't. Probably the way and to so do why it. Why are they showing up on there at all? Is the point. Probably the way to do it would be to have the players who who play directly against the opposite position rank the top ten of that position and then kind of combine the list somehow. Uh, I guess that's not. Yeah, uh, maybe because we were we were I, talking I mean, to Reggie Smith. Why, I, I have an idea. Why don't you go ask uh, your your friend Peter King about it. <laughs> <laughs> so you like making lists and one thing you used to do on one of your podcasts is whatever number of the podcast it was you'd throw out some athletes so we're at number 20 who are some of your all-time favorite number 20 athletes Pittsburgh Penguins Winnipeg Jets defenseman Mo Mantha based purely on his name Mo Mantha, Mo Mantha. believe me it has nothing to do with his uh with his skill better his name attribution. Mo Mantha or Kyle Dykehouse Ooh. <laughs> well, there have to be some. Oh, I'll tell you the legitimate answer to that. My legitimate. I mean, everybody would say, I'm sure, Barry Sanders. But on the same, from the same franchise, my favorite uh, one to always list is one of the most overrated players in NFL Underrated players in NFL history. Billy Sims. Billy Sims. I love and Man, he was awesome. Obviously, you guys probably didn't even walk uh, the face of the earth when he was playing. But, man, he was something. He was yeah. really great. And if he had been 
born five years later and had the same knee injury, he probably would have played another eight or ten years. But he just he, he just missed that window. He's one of the all-time great Sooners, and he's one of the all-time most obnoxious uh, yes. people to be at the uh, Heisman Trophy presentation. He never stopped shouting at the Heisman tro- Trophy <laughs> presentation. Well, I'd love to know besides Tim Tebow who your other candidates are. You know, I mean, Tim Tebow is obnoxious. In another way, because he cannot go two sentences without uh, mentioning his pal Jesus, something you're familiar <laughs> with, because that's the same way you act about Peter King. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Is that I like your Barry Sanders makes a lot of sense. Billy Sims is a great answer as a Sooner fan. I can't think of any great Sabers who have been number twenty or any any great. That's funny. Bills. I can't think of any great Sabers. Oh come on! Oh, burn! I just make jokes. I listen. <laughs> What do you think? I'm, I, I've been around longer than Did you. you know I that, remember Gilbert Perot. Did you know today's the 20th anniversary of that pretty sick goal that Mario Lemieux scored in the Stanley Cup Finals against uh, Minnesota? Minnesota. Wow. That's a great uh, little piece of trivia that I shall once again. I will tweet it out and pass it off as my own. Yeah, we, we stole it already. We stole so. it from your boy Leahy, so <laughs> go ahead and steal on. But we at the oh, top right. of the show, we did play the clip of uh, Harry Neal. Just, oh, just an excellent call. Find it, Don. We'll play it for Dave again. Okay. Just oh, to... I, I've heard it a million times, but please, yeah. I won't get, I won't, uh, I won't be upset. And by the way, the uh, the Bruins are doing the right thing, and they're up four two now. They nice. Scored. And do you guys not get verses in Buffalo? No, we get verses. We're just we're in our studio right now. We're concentrating on our work, Dave. I see craftsmen. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, yeah. we in, when we had intermissions here over the course of the day, we listened on the iPad and stuff like that. I don't know why we need to get a TV in this room. I think most sports studios have TVs in their room, but we yeah, do. Get, I've seen that Dan Patrick show. That, that guy. I mean, if you've seen what he does, he seems like he has monitors. Why not you? Yeah, that's very. That's a very pretty room. Uh, Dave, how do you get all these guest hosts? Do you just kind of show up at the NFL Network and pick people out of a hat? You know, you used to do your your. Uh, Dam- Damashek on demand podcast, and you had a couple of sidekicks there, like Skylar the Sass and a couple of other guys that worked on the station. Oh, I and thought, yeah, I thought you meant uh, where do I get my guests? No, no, you're you, uh, you, with with, uh, with myself excluded. You obviously have outbooked me in twenty <laughs> shows uh, versus the several hundred I've done. Um, no, we um, we uh, whoever you know, I just like to kibitz with whoever's uh, in range. I find it exceedingly um, self-important and obnoxious and arrogant and everything else to feel like I just want to be the only voice I, right. that, that I, you know, I'm just going to talk into the microphone and uh, you will sit back as the listener and and absorb all that I have to tell you is true in the world of sports or whatever else. I say, you know, that's for Rush Limbaugh and Colin Cowherd and blowhards on that level. You know, it's a, right. the the uh, I like to have a conversation like i'm sitting in a bar you know like with my chums or watching the game or or so on i like i like that's the way i like to talk about sports so that's the way i should do it uh if i'm broadcasting right that makes sense did you hear about the ad did i hear about the ad i uh i what, what, what were you gonna say that he, he that he retired yeah from life? apparently he has retired from <laughs> life he, yeah he's not well, space booking his uh his uh tearjerker of a final episode of his podcast last week and uh, we got to reminisce a little bit but yeah it's you know it's a sad time for i really think you know a trailblazer in the world of podcasting broadcasting spelling prognosticating and beyond <laughs> right yeah, womanizing too. I mean, really, 
for young fellows like yourself, I mean, you could do a lot worse than studying at the knee of the Ed. I mean, this is a guy who really knows his way around a woman. Yeah, the Ed, the Ed can certainly uh, certainly lays it down. He ends up with random children. He's got his magic dice, but no more. He is uh, hidden. It sounds, uh, it's funny. Now that you list off his accomplishments, they sound almost identical to Peter King's. <laughs> <laughs> Ah, Dave, so you kid. So who do you want to see in the uh, two finals coming up? Obviously, you want Boston. Who do you want to see from the West or the Campbell? I know it's a controversial stance to take. I mean, obviously, uh, given my druthers, it wouldn't be either one of those teams. But given those two choices, I always go with the the legitimate fan base. I mean, does anybody – I'm completely – talking uh, nonsense here because i have no proof of this but anecdotally does anyone do you imagine anyone really cares in tampa bay tampa st pete how many people what percentage of people there do you suppose are gaga about the lightning you know they're, they're, they're <laughs> five thousand maybe it's, just, yeah. it's not in their blood the way it is in a place like buffalo you know it just it, these people don't care about i'm sure listen i'm not saying that there's nobody who cares and obviously any in any town when a team starts making a run you get tons and tons of bandwagoners but i mean listen the people who go to those games i bet you there are twenty-five thousand people in that area that care about the lightning whereas in boston you know in spite of the red sox patriots and celtics obsessions you know the the bruins won those people you know the people who care about the bruins they're died in the wool generations old fans who are living and dying with the, with this team and if i had to choose like i say i would take the say i would take the uh the bees over them and then in the other one the sharks they've been you know it's you feel like ah oh, they're a new team but um they, what have they been around now they've probably At least been around 15 20 years, years or yeah. maybe even more come to think of it i think I, pat faloon was their first ever pick right pat faloon yeah pat wow. faloon was their first ever draft pick and i want to say that was right around 1990 uh, let's see how close. Yeah, I that am. sounds right. Yeah, I was gonna say. Yeah, so so they uh, actually have been around for more than two decades, and they you you can't uh, hold it against them that they have the teal in their uniform. Nineteen ninety one. Ninety one. I got it. it exactly right. I said twenty years. Yeah. Um, the um, uh, you know the teal that was that was on the uh, that's, this was in the nascent stages of. Uh, of that of the use of that color their uniforms aren't bad the sharks is a decent name their fans seem legit and seem rowdy and they've certainly the the first the first standard for me when determining who to root for if i'm objective if i'm trying if i'm a, an objective viewer is have their fans suffered you know have they have, have they been through the the grind you know and obviously the sharks with all those uh president's cups and first place finishes in their division and so on they've been you know they've had their share of disappointment so it'd be fine if they went to the finals then again the canucks um you know even more so their fan base and you know i i it's probably not great for the sport i guess but um uh, when, when a canadian team wins the viewer right. the the, the you, you know, only the get half a rating basically yeah but it's not bad you know the canucks are a good team and uh um, I'd be, you know, it'd be nice to see that, see them get it. The more I think about it, though, the more I think whichever team comes out of the Campbell's conference uh, is gonna <laughs> is gonna get that is gonna win the cup. Are you surprised a little bit by the uh, love affair that the media seems to have with Joe Thornton? I mean, he's always kind of been like an Alex Rodriguez type. I mean, maybe not in personality, but just an underachiever when it came to like uh, the playoffs. And now he's finally starting to show a little life in the playoffs, and everybody is 
uh, falling all over themselves to praise this guy. Is he just one of the nice guys that you want to see do good? Or? Are they? I mean, I, I guess I, I haven't uh, seen. It, are they? It sure are they really seems like it. Him? It seems like the. I mean, the games. I maybe it's just in the Sharks games. Maybe it's not too much beyond that. But in in the games I've watched of theirs, they are all over how hard how he's turned himself into a two way forward and. Uh, uh, I think what happens is here's here's here, here's my hypothesis is that a guy like that is good and then they praise him and I think there's something uh, you guys have probably experienced this feeling too is that even in a conversation with your chums if, you know when you were 15 and you said I think Patty Lafontaine is the greatest saber ever or whatever I think Patty Lafontaine needs better wingers to to do whatever 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 your thesis was you threw it out and needs a less damaged brain it i bet it was hard to knock you it's hard to knock you off of that because now you want to validate your own opinion you don't want to be wishy-washy about your opinion and so now once it's put on record now the bar is raised even higher for you you don't want to say one week that you think uh trent edwards is the future of the bills and then the following week say oops i i I, that was a mistake i now i think the other way and then reverse yourself constantly so i think Joe Thornton gets to the Sharks. This was a this was a big move at the time. I'm sure a lot of the pundits praised this move, and uh, you know, as it wore on, they didn't want to badmouth him, even though he choked a couple of times. And then the fans overreact. Maybe, maybe you know, obviously, uh, the we fans tend to be a little more emotional than than these hard boiled uh, reporters are. So we react with with uh, animosity, or or you know, or, or or we weep about it if we're Sharks fans say oh the joe thornton he's a choker he's a choker then now comes the pushback from the media the 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 cool-headed the level-headed uh hard-boiled guy saying you people need to get a life you take sports too seriously joe thornton's really good and if you don't understand that you don't understand hockey the way real serious-minded hockey (laughs) fans really understand it it's that condescending move but uh, ultimately they're really just validating their own opinion that they laid down two or three or five years ago. However, all that said, listen, let's see him do something in these. In the, I agree with you completely. Some of these guys just get kissed in, and I talked about this on the NFL podcast the other day. You know, good luck getting anybody who's gone on the record of, you know, with the praise of Peyton Manning or Tony Romo over the years. Good luck getting them to now say, you know what? It's been long enough. He chokes, obviously. He's not obviously he right. does not come through in the big moment. You'll never get those guys just aren't gonna do it because they achieve their label or earn their label through uh infamy early in their career and then it's then it's stuck on them, deserved or otherwise. You know, what I mean, but yeah, to long you know, the short answer is yeah, it's ridiculous if anybody is out there saying Joe Thornton is uh is fantastic because if you carry your team to a certain point, Barry Bonds used to say that too. I remember that back in the early '90s when the uh, when the Pirates won three straight divisions. He would say, "I tell my teammates all the time, I'll carry us through the regular season. Then you get me through the uh, NLCS, <laughs> and uh, then we'll get to the World Series and we'll win that." Like, what's the logic there, Barry? I mean, listen, step up. If you're if you're the man, then doesn't the man have to kind of take care of business when it counts most? It's it's. A ridiculous thing. Just you know, one more. Of course, this is the. I, it, I I give Ted Williams a break. He only played in one World Series and he didn't have a good one. But once your sample size 
gets beyond that. If you continually choke as Joe Thornton has, thumbs down until you prove us otherwise. Prove yeah. us wrong. And, you know, uh, I did a little research before the playoff season started, and in about the same amount of playoff games, Joe Thornton has two less goals than Mike Greer in the NHL playoffs. Wow. What a, see, this. I like the way you guys are coming at this. You same first with the Ryan Patrick example and, uh, and now with this comparison. That's pretty good stuff. Wow, that's, that's uh, atrocious. Yep. Mike yes. Greer's got a few games on him, but... You know, it's generally about the same uh, at the start of the playoffs. I don't think Mike Greer one of the uh, no. more potent offensive uh, players in the game either. He was always just kind of Chris Drury's buddy, right? <laughs> I mean, that's... Exactly, yeah. yes. So, but uh, a couple other 20s, Mike Schmidt, Ray Allen, oh, Frank yeah. Robinson, yeah. Oh, wow. Mm. I got surprised I forgot Frank Robinson. But yeah, Mike Schmidt. Um I, I mean, listen, if, we're, if you're just doing, again, based on production, you got to go... Uh, B. Sanders. Barry Sanders, yeah. and even that one, even between the two baseball players, I don't know who I'd go with out of those two. I didn't see Frank Robinson. That's one of those things. I hate when people talk about players they never saw play, but uh, but baseball's a little easier to do that with since you have those those uh, those numbers that are pretty comparable from air at air at least until uh, the juice makes its appearance. Um, <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I'll, I'll go with uh, let's stay with Barry Sanders. So, Dave, uh, a couple weeks ago, we had this guest on the show. His name was Dan Levy. You ever hear of him? Sure. Sure. Yeah. yeah. He, uh, he had a podcast called the On the DL Podcast, and we talked to him the night before he was going to do the last episode of his show. And we were just kind of talking about podcasts and, you know, why he was giving up on his. And, and I kind of mentioned that we were kind of friends with you and that you had given us some advice and, you know, about how you, should, you gave us a piece of advice that we should be just a little bit better than or a little bit more than our personalities are on the air. And this guy came at you, Dave. I almost had to sweep the leg. He, what happened? Th- he was mocking you. I had to put him in a headlock. Why? What, 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 well, because my, my original statement was Dave told us that, you know, one way to be effective on the air is to put your own personality out with just a, sl- a slightly, slightly exaggerated more. version. Remember saying, yeah. And he said, well, why would Dave Damashek say that? There's nobody more exaggerated in their personality than him. He came at what? you with swords. Fine. <laughs> What the, what in, oh my, exaggerated my personality. Well, so wait a second. So what he's saying, if I can glean from his statement, why would he tell you that there's no one more exaggerated in his personality exactly. than me? That means that whatever I'm doing, in his opinion, ain't working. Right. He says you're just a big exaggerator, I guess. So I, I took that, offense to it. I stood up for you. And, and uh, what did you say? I be- well, I, I said, well, you know, Dave has a certain style that I think works really well for him and you know, I, I, do you know Dave personally to say that that is a hurt, huge exaggeration from his own personality? I think he's like that all the time. You know, I think he's a, just a good guy who, who likes to, you know, talk and, and. Well, tell him next know. time, tell, next time it comes up, just tell him like, yeah, Dave Damashek, do you know who he is? He's interviewed Peter King, you know, and, <laughs> and that's true. I did a couple. No, what I, I, this is stunning. And by all accounts, this Levy is a nice fella. I don't know much about him really, except that he's uh He's bitter. So, He's bitter. bitter. He's bitter that he isn't getting, that he hasn't gotten the best jobs on the internet or something. Like anytime anyone gets a new job on the internet, he thinks that he should have been the one that got it. 
You know, like whether <laughs> what makes you assume that? Why did he tell you that? Well, yeah, in a, in a roundabout way. And if if you listen to the last ten podcasts that he did, you know, mm-hmm. a lot of the the big theme is, hey, we'll keep doing this if you want to pay us. You know, we're mad that nobody's paying us to do this, and that we're almost kind of taking it away. You know, that was kind of the feeling I got. Are we are we burning bridges because he doesn't have a podcast anymore? I I mean I don't mean to burn bridges. <laughs> he, he was very nice to us. Yeah, he, he gave us nice a guy. shout out on his podcast, and I, I I like him, but I mean I. Wasn't gonna let him talk behind Dave's back like that. Okay, you know? very nice. I appreciate that. You're my you're my enforcer. That's yeah. So my, I yeah, swept, I swept the leg, that. and uh, that was the end of it. But yeah, I don't well, know. Well, I, I have no response to that, except to say that that piece of advice that I gave you, because several people have, over the years have asked me for you know what's what's the is there is there a secret? Obviously, I've not cracked the code. Um, but uh, but that was advice from uh, from Jimmy Kimmel and Adam Carolla, two guys who are infinitely more successful than I shall ever be. And so take it, take issue with that uh, with them, Dan Levy. You know, <laughs> I, what, what do you want from me? What's going All on? I can with- tell you is, the other thing is the other thing is I do always like it when people say that somehow I am a, I, I am an exaggeration. I, you know, like oh, your voice is so. Well, why do you talk in that voice on the air? Like what? Well, I, I I don't actually you know sound like uh vin scully you know i, I in my <laughs> private life i don't have uh, a a nice uh pleasant voice like uh, don cricky or someone like that this is this is the way my voice sounds yeah uh, well I, hey we've always been fans we'll continue to be fans we object uh, to the statement uh we've been talking a lot to zacky score and oh, yeah. uh my he, main man zach yep and he was telling us a little bit about how things are going in la we talked to him last week and he he was uh, telling us about the Lakers. What was your take on the way the Lakers kind of fell apart there and started swinging elbows on the way out the door? Well, I thought it was funny that uh, the in the in the ensuing you know seventy two hours or so they they were pulling all the Laker greats out of the woodwork to weigh in on that part of it. You know that whether uh, would bind them into a lesser degree Odom. Uh, what Odom did and. Um, I, I, you know, they, you know, guys like James Worthy were, were all wringing their hands and gnashing their teeth. Oh, that uh, Andrew Bynum doesn't know what it is to wear that Lakers logo on his chest. What, what, what the the class that you that that you're expected to the way you're supposed to comport yourself when you wear the the purple and gold. And it's like uh, you heard about Kobe Bryant, right? I mean, you know, it's like James Worthy. I mean, is that all right? Because he because he led the team to to those titles. Does that forgive his behavior? I mean, listen, they signed Dennis Rodman on that team. There have been they had Nick Van Exel. They've had uh, Sed Sabalos. They've had plenty of <laughs> bad guys on that team. It's not like uh, um, you can uh, take the moral high ground just because you play for the Lakers. But um, listen, personally, I was happy to see it happen. I uh, uh, to talk about bandwagoners and everything you don't hear i mean there are there's a legitimate percentage of diehard laker fans here in la but it's a massive city obviously and a lot of people are from different parts of the country so it's not as though there's a consensus um for the lakers here um but once you know once spring rolls around oh all of a sudden two-thirds of the cars you see driving around with those laker flags (laughs) stuck on top of their car as though those equal something as important as the terrible towel or something uh, as meaningful as that. People say, oh, the Laker, that proves it. People always say, hey, L.A.'s not a great sports town. Then what about those Laker flags? Hey, sticking a, uh, a, a uh, all-weather uh, flag on the, uh, on the roof of your car don't exactly mean this is uh, 
you know, this is a Chicago Blackhawks uh, level diehard fan base or anything like that. So, yes, I was happy to see him go. And I think I'm one of the very few people that I'm aware of, at least, who actually picked the Mavericks to do that. And it wasn't they worn out them. my desire to see it happen. I legitimately thought that the Mavs were going to take him down for exactly the reasons that we saw. I thought it was time, you know, you could feel that Nowitzki was ready to uh, take off and and you know the the um you know the bigger factor is that they just can't the lakers finally ran out of answers for for stopping other teams point guards you could see that against chris paul and he was surrounded by just about nothing out there um in in that first round but Derek fisher you know it's smoke and mirrors almost that for the last you know three or four years that they've been able to win those titles as far as i'm concerned because they have, they can't really stop quick point guards. Some of that has to do with the fact that they haven't had to play teams who, who you know, maybe their best player is at the point there. But things have broken the right way, and they've also done a better job of filtering those guys, letting them get behind the point guard, and then there's someone back on the back line to create trouble around the rim for them. But, uh, but I mean, you could just, I mean, JJ Berea, I mean, is is a midget. So, I mean, it's the equivalent of, um, you know, in Lord of the Rings, Sauron. <laughs> You know this mighty, uh, uh, unstoppable beast in in the NBA case, the Lakers, vanquished by Frodo and uh, you know and and uh, other hobbits is what. If JJ Barea is basically a, a hobbit vanquishing the the the, uh, the Sauron, and I mean it was ridiculous watching him dribble. I've never seen anybody do that actually. Eighteen feet from the rim, dribble in at the basket, but was so short that he couldn't put up a shot and realize he couldn't get one up. So he just circles back, keeps his dribble, and dribbles right back out to the free throw line. I've never seen very many NBA guys do it. It was more like something you'd see in JV junior high basketball. But uh, yeah, that was great. And now I'm excited. What a series we have awaiting us uh, with the uh, with the with the. Uh, wow, that's another team. <laughs> the Mavs versus the Tornadoes, the Twisters, the Twisters. I go, I go Twisters. twisters. I think that's, uh, I think that's a pretty fun name, and uh, I'm open to other, um, uh, other suggestions. But one thing that's got to go is uh, the Thunder. Here's another thing that has to go: those terrible uniforms. You know, those, mm-hmm. those are also lousy. Other than that, though, what a likable team and what a potentially dominant team. I think if you're the NBA, I think uh, if you're an average NBA fan. I think you better be rooting for the Mavs because you, you most dynasties quickly become hated when they start to dominate perennially, and um, I don't see any reason why that team's not going to dominate for the next few years. So if you don't derail them now, I don't. I, you know, if they get to the finals this year, I, I don't know what would keep them from going back there for the next couple of years. You know, do you is there th- any? There's any team you see out there in the West with the possible exception, maybe the. The Blazers and I dare I say it if if the, I was going to say this fall just yeah. so the Clippers. Yeah, that's what I was going to say is maybe if the Clippers could put something around Blake Griffin, uh, they could maybe pro- have some problems. But I mean, no one's better than Durant, right? And it, Durant has a chance to be. Uh, sky's well, the maybe, limit for him, maybe, right? Well, I don't maybe even... uh, maybe Westbrook is better. Maybe Russell Westbrook is better than he. No, uh, yeah, I agree with you that in between terms the two of, of them, jeez, of scoring, yeah, he's. Uh, yeah, Durant is is an awesome sight and a bizarre sight. Have you ever? Can you think of anyone in basketball with that? I mean, or anybody for that matter who who's built like him? He has no, the narrowest. Freak, yeah. I think you could put him through a keyhole. It looks like. <laughs> Plus, yeah, I, I heard some really. I, I'm not gonna. You know, I don't want to air his dirty laundry, but uh, you know, being from Texas, I heard he, he's he's got some nasty skeletons in the in the closet that I just hope for him never get out. You know? What? 
tripping like little tripping little kids and being really mean to babies and treating women poorly. You know, just the average thing you get from a Texas player. <laughs> just uh, just um, the everyday normal thing. I, I just hope it doesn't come out for him because right now, you know, he's got a squeaky, cl- uh, squeaky clean image and. You know, that's, yeah. that's fine. But. Well, all right. So, uh, so yeah, he's – but you know what's interesting to me too is uh, uh, Russell Westbrook is an interesting guy to me in that, you know, he's another – you know, remember the, the old cliche or pseudo cliche about uh, Michael Jordan was that uh, the only person who could keep uh, Michael Jordan under 20 points a game was, um, was Dean Smith. And I don't think, I don't know if anybody has observed this, but that's sort of what Ben Howland has been doing too in U, at UCLA. There, there are guys who are legit NBA players these days, and Westbrook is the number one. But I mean, there were you know I don't know if you remember watching Westbrook when he was at UCLA a few years ago, but there was no indication at all that I mean he would even you know be a fifteen point a game guy. I mean there you know he was always referred to as their defensive specialist when he was uh, when he was at UCLA. You never had any sense that, wow, this guy, um, you know. And, and by the way, he's still not a killer from three. That's the other thing. They'll, neither one of those guys has hit their ceiling yet. So right. they're both, you know, especially Westbrook at the point, those guys get better and better, you know, as, as time goes by. And so imagine when he starts to, um, you know, he's, he's going to improve. The only thing that can derail them, I know it's, Seems like something that uh, is fun to talk about on sports uh, radio or to write about, but I think it's a legitimate thing in the NBA. Is at some point you think one of those two guys is going to have to admit is going to have to concede. I always in the clutch defer to the other guy because right. it just doesn't seem like I can't think of any team that ever has two guys that it's up in the air. Like yeah, I, and let's see what happens now with these heats, you know. But I, I think <laughs> when it comes down to it, I think the um, I think Dwayne Wade would be getting the ball for the final shot. I don't think LeBron would get in the way of that. And, you know, the Celtics, that was one of their little keys to success was they always said that in the clutch, it, it, it with a last second thing, it would always be Paul Pierce taking the shot. And, right. and they said that before they even played their first game together. So, um, but yeah, I mean, it's going to be, but the Clippers, the other thing with them is you say, if Blake Griffin gets some guys around him, he's already got a lot of guys. Yeah. Eric Gordon, right. Eric Gordon is, is, completely under the radar for most people i guess clippers aren't on tv nationally very much and even in la you know they're kind of hard to find but man he's you know he was in that class with Derrick rose and uh he was at indiana right beasley and and all those guys he was with oj mayo right and he was coming out of high school he was right there considered to be you know one or one two you know or the second best player or the third best player, whatever, but he got hurt in Indiana in his freshman year, so you never really, so he, like I said, was a little under the radar. I think he went seventh or eighth to the Clippers, and at that time, I thought, wow, this is going to end up being a steal for them. So they're loaded, and they also have DeAndre Jordan, who's a legitimate athletic seven-footer. The, the, if they can keep those guys, and that's obviously the big if always with Donald Sterling, but if they can keep those guys around, they should go on a nice little run over the next couple or few years. Was that Baby Oprah or was that uh, Baby Damashek or uh, John oh, Pod Van Damashek? Baby screaming in the background. Yeah, we hear some babies. I think it's probably just about bath time in the Damashek household. We're gonna let you go here in a second, but yeah, just... we uh, well, no, it's actually they're they're uh, eating some pizza. That's what I was I was trying to do. See, it's exciting here in in glitzy uh, showbiz country Hollywood, that, or at least the way I live. I before 
I could call in, you know, well, I guess you have Peter King at your disposal whenever you want him, <laughs> apparently. I had to go and, you know, do things like uh, do chores, like uh, pick up the kids, pick up one of the kids from school. And then I ordered them a pizza and, uh, and uh, you know, now they're enjoying their pizza pie. Because one thing that I, I insist upon is that my children have a healthy diet. Yeah, oh, absolutely. And anytime you're in Buffalo, we'll be sure to give them as many chicken wings as they would like to enjoy. Uh, you know, I, did I tell you? I'm sure we've. T- I'm sure we talked about this. I a couple of years ago on Labor Day weekend went yep. up to uh, went to the Wing Fest at the state at the. I was at there. The same time as you. Same exact time. I didn't. That's right. We did talk about. Yeah. it. We emailed about it. That's right. Yeah. Before we ever began our on air love affair, we, we <laughs> yep. did kibitz online, and uh, yeah, we did talk about that. Yeah, that was great. I loved. I you know. I'd love to be in Buffalo right now and have a bunch of beer and even more wings. Oh, what a that sounds delicious to me right now. Oh, I think uh, uh, Mendenhall just tweeted it. He just tweeted he'd love to have wings, and uh, he's a good tweeter, Mendenhall. Oh, Mendenhall just said that. Yeah, he just shot that out on Twitter. He'd love to join Dave and <laughs> Steve and Don for a beer and chicken wings at Duff's in Buffalo. <laughs> that'd, that'd be a, that would be a nice quartet. Look yeah. out, ladies. Yeah, that would be nice. So, uh, yeah, All right, Dave. Excellent. Dave Damashaki is at Damashak on Twitter. Like I said, his new podcast is at NFL.com, and you can subscribe to it on iTunes. You're new and noteworthy, Dave. All you have to do I is... I saw that. I don't know what have, that means, but okay, great. Yep, yeah, he's new and noteworthy, Dave Damashak. Make sure you follow him on Twitter if you're not already, although I'm sure you are. And uh, thanks a lot for being here, Dave. As always, a pleasure, fellas. And uh, real quick, I forgot that uh, I was uh, I was required to make one shout out. If, if uh, I was told if I ever do another Buffalo po- uh, podcast emanating out of Buffalo, I have to shout out to uh, to my nephew Jake Shine, who is uh, on a I don't know what he did. He, he, his team. Won some big hockey tournament there. Nice. And I was supposed to shout out to the team itself, but I don't know what it is, so I'll just shout out to him, and that's it. S-H-I-N-E? I'll look, I'll look up the team real quick. Yeah, Jake Shine. Yeah, I mean, he's a high school kid. Oh, oh okay. Oh, it's yeah. high school. He's not, what do you, listen, he's, he's still got some of my blood in him. What do you think? He's a professional athlete? Please. <laughs> well, Dave <laughs> might. Pretty, it's pretty good for us if, if anybody wins anything on, a, uh, on the fields of play anywhere, anytime. Since you're bragging about your family, did I ever tell you that my younger brother just finished his career in the USHL? Like, uh, he played for the same team as uh, Golagowski did in the USHL, and he will be starting his full ride at Yale in the fall. Wow, yep. puzzled up to you and the family. That's very exciting. I did know about your brother because that, that's something you've told me via the online before, but yeah. I didn't know about the uh, the latest news about Yale. Wonderful. Yeah, yeah. they can't call it an athletic scholarship. Uh, they call it like grants and all this funny stuff to pretend like they don't give scholarships, even though they told them not to bring any money with them for the next four years, you know? <laughs> Well, if, so. he's, if he's got uh, your if he's got your basic level of wits, I don't think anybody thinks it would be an academic scholarship. So <laughs> All right, Dave. We'll talk to you soon, buddy. I'm sorry to go out on that on that ugly note. I didn't mean it, man. And thanks for <laughs> defending me against uh, the DL guy. Uh, no problem, buddy. All right, fellas. May it be another twenty more, and then that's it. We get it already. All right. <laughs> <laughs> thanks. All right. Bye now. All right, the Sportscasters, episode 20. We are back for one final segment here, pick four. We end them all this way. 
and I'm starting to question why. But we'll, <laughs> we'll get to that in a second. I want to thank Peter King for joining us, making episode 20 so special. Also want to thank Dr. Funny, Dave Damashek. God love him. Yeah. Just a great guy. Can't thank him enough. Also, I want to remind you that in coordinates with episode number 20, we are releasing our third in our Athlete Spotlight series this week, an interview that we just did with Reggie Smith, uh, formerly of the Oklahoma Sooners and currently of the San Francisco 49ers. It was an interesting interview, kind of slow at the beginning, but I think we kind of got him going there in the middle, got him going. A couple interesting topics. We got him kind of cornered, having to pick between Frank Gore and Adrian, Adrian Peterson, yeah. and that was pretty interesting. And uh, you could tell he wanted to say Adrian Peterson, but he wasn't, <laughs> wasn't going uh, to dog his current teammate like that. But uh, definitely interesting to check it out. Current NFL player, we got into the lockout with him a little bit. And, man, did he just seem apathetic, huh? Yeah, he just wants to play, it sounds like. He's, yeah, he's, he's not interested in the legal stuff. Uh, a couple more things. Don't forget uh, to check out the website. It is ever-changing. You can find it www.sports-casters.com. Don't be afraid to shoot us a line either on Facebook, we're facebook.com slash the sportscasters, or email us sportscasters, the sportscasters at gmail.com. And you can also follow us on Twitter. Don is at Don Like Sports. I am at Diversity23. And the show is at sports underscore casters. Next week, nothing to confirm yet, but a few things. I am working on. Uh, also, two weeks from now is the big show for the ESPN book and James Miller, so we're looking forward to that. But a little bit of business before we can get to any of that, and then that's week's, this week's pick four. Now, when you do baseball in this, you kind of have to create some rules, and one rule that we created in the beginning is that if a game gets rained out, you just go to the next day. And uh, unfortunately... My first loss in a one-in-three week was the Pirates' loss to the Brewers, 5-2 to two on Friday. I had picked that the Pirates would beat the Dodgers on Thursday, and that game got rained out. So not only did I not get a Dodgers game, but it was against the Brewers, and they lost. Even if I would have went to the day before, the Pirates lost to the Dodgers the day before. So screw you, Pirates. <laughs> it's the last time I bet on you on anything. The Yankees... Lost the game of the week to the Red Sox. And also, Detroit lost game seven, thus making my bold prediction no good. So, my one victory was the Heat over the Celtics, 97 to 87, making me one and three and 38 and 39 overall. Ugly. Got to get back over the 500 mark this week. Uh, Don also did a little bit better. He went two and two. He won the Red Wings over the Sharks, three to one. And the Thunder over the Grizzlies, uh, 99 to 72. He lost uh, his bold prediction involving the Red Wings winning Game Seven by more than three goals. They lost it three to two. And he also missed the game of the week, the Yankees over the Red Sox. But he stands with a two-game lead at 40 and 37, kicking us off with this week's game of the week. Game of the week this week is the Chicago Bulls at the Miami Heat. Game three Sunday. Uh, I'm going to stick with the Heat. Uh, I don't like to do it, but it might just – they might be as good as advertised at the beginning of the year. One thing I was thinking as a way to improve the website, and maybe I'll try it out this week, is that we need to pay a little bit more attention to these games of the week. And uh, I thought our running diaries came out really good. So I think for the game of the week this Sunday, I'm going to try and sit down 
and watch an entire NBA game. game and put a blog up on the sportscasters.blogspot.com. So if you want to follow the game along with me, you can do that. And uh, that's the sportscasters.blogspot.com. And the Bulls are at the Heat, Game 3, Sunday 8.30 on TNT, like we said. I'm going to take the Bulls for the simple fact that I hate the Heat. Yeah. So I'm going to go into that game, and if I'm going to live blog it, I am going to be cheering for the Bulls. My host choice this week, uh, Thursday's game, Boston at Tampa Bay. That's the NHL. I'm going to go with the Lightning at home. Uh, at worst, they're going to come home with a split, and they play tonight. So, I mean, at best, they're up 2 nothing. They just seem like a team that came out of nowhere. They've been playing great all playoffs. Yeah, absolutely. My host choice, you mentioned the playoffs. Man, it seems like these NHL playoffs have, have kind of slowed down. They were getting a great thing going with uh, John Butchergrass playing an overtime game, yeah, bringing a ton of comments on Sports Center, things like that. There hasn't been an overtime game in forever. Second round only had the one good series out of four. And now it seems like these third-round series has kind of gotten off to a slow start because of building availability. The games were spaced out a little bit more. Right. We had no hockey last night at all. No basketball either last no night. No basketball last night either. So I am going to also pick a hockey game for my host choice. I'm going to pick the Canucks over the Sharks. Game number two, Wednesday, 9 o'clock on Versus. My worldwide leader pick, uh, Saturday, this Saturday, the 21st, ESPN, Dallas at Oklahoma City, 9 p.m., uh, Oklahoma's kind of become my team, I think, for no other reason other than I keep picking them and they keep winning. So I'm going to, again, take Oklahoma in their first home game against the Mavericks. Dave says they need to get rid of the name the Thunder and call them the Tornadoes because <laughs> it's less grammatically con- confusing. He likes names that I didn't ask. Yeah, he does. All right, my uh, worldwide leader pick, I'm going to pick uh, – it's it's regional coverage, but it's the game of the week on Fox Saturday, seven ten. Check your local listings. Uh, the Giants have interleague play starts. The Giants will pitch Tim Lincecum. I'm going to pick them over the Athletics, who are throwing Anderson, seven ten Saturday on Fox. For my bold prediction, I'm going to continue with my uh, distrust for the San Jose Sharks and say they get swept. I think. If they are going to revert to their old ways, losing that game one the way they lost it would be the mm-hmm. ultimate catalyst for them to fall back into bad habits. So I'm not necessarily hoping for it, but my bold prediction is that they lose the next three and get swept. My bold prediction is that the Yankees will sweep the Mets in the first three of six interleague games that they will play against each other. The Yankees have been a bit in a bad way. They've lost six straight. And uh, I think that the Mets series have always been really important to the team because they were always very important to George Steinbrenner. He always wanted to win those games. And I think if the Yankees are going to kickstart this season, get it going again, the Mets are the perfect way to do it. So I'll predict that the Yankees will sweep the Mets this weekend. So that's it. That's the end of episode 20. But that's not the end of us. We'll be back for episode 21 next week. Don't forget to check out Reggie Smith, Athlete Spotlight number three. And uh, we will see you soon. Cue the hip. Good night. All right.